Moving to our uh, teaching time here. So as you might recognize, uh, Lakeland kind of follows the format on a Sunday morning of um, a worship. And then uh, following sort of the Reformation's idea, we go into a time of teaching from the Word uh, and life. And then um, we get to the Lord's table, the Eucharist, the communion. And so that's where we're going this morning. It's a very straight ahead sort of morning. So it's this time of year. My daughter just graduated from high school, so it's like totally on my mind. And uh, so, you know, I don't know if I'm apologizing or not, but like this is what I'm all about these days. So I thought uh, I would talk about leadership and Jesus' leadership. And so let's begin with this passage out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. Then they came to Capernaum, and that they is the disciples and Jesus. And when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another, Who is the greatest? He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Gospel of Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37 out of the Bible. Mao Zedong, Chairman Mao, once said, Power goes out the barrel of a gun. Power goes out the barrel of a gun. Chairman Mao was following atheist Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto from 1845. Mao Zedong was convinced that those in power, the rich, the influential, they do not give up power except by force. You take it by force. Mao, Lenin, Stalin, Castro, and other communist leaders have all used deadly force in the last century, and even into this century, apparently, to secure their desired ends. And, of course, democratic nations have also used force to secure their desired ends as well. We just don't like to talk about those because that's us. What is common to many modern and pre-modern nations, going all the way back to antiquity, back to the Roman Empire and even to the Greeks and so forth, is that leaders of nations and peoples have relied upon power to secure their desired outcomes. Power has been the leadership model. Raw power, military power, force. And yet, here comes Jesus teaching his disciple, clearly a topsy-turvy leadership strategy and approach, that they not rely on gun barrels, swords, or armies, and Jesus changed the world more than anybody else in human history. Whether you like that statement or not, you can't deny it. The brilliant General Napoleon Bonaparte 1800, who tried to rule the world, was confounded by Jesus' power to change history. He could not understand Jesus's, how he got it done. Napoleon said when he was exiled after, you know, uh, being dismissed from what he was doing, Napoleon said, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ, Napoleon says, founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of people would die for him. 
Everything in Christ astonishes me. I search in vain in history to find anyone similar to Jesus Christ. Napoleon Bonaparte. Here we are in the midst of this graduation season with so many young, energetic people ready to take on the world, change the world, lead the world, help the world, make the world their oyster. And whether they are aware of it or not, they are looking for leadership, and they will become leaders themselves. They will follow and buy into a particular leadership model, whatever they decide is best. And so this morning, I'm compelled to offer up Jesus' leadership style. Jesus transformed the world for good. And I might need to just acknowledge at this moment, might as well get it done, that when the church, when Christians have failed to follow Jesus' leadership model of servanthood, it has gone just as bad as the rest of the world. And we might as well just name it, it's the Crusades. When force has taken on and when the sword has come into the play, it does not go well. And the world does not flourish. But when they have followed Jesus and his topsy-turvy, upside-down principle of you must serve and become the least, then it's changed the world and human history. Under Jesus' leadership paradigm, hospitals, hospice, medicine, public education, colleges, universities, the rights of citizens, labor rights, women's rights, abolition, protection of children, human trafficking, uh, done away with, Red Cross, democracy, and socialism, by the way, have all come when Christians have followed Jesus' leadership model. I've become the least of these. And I do not overstate any of that. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, it retells this event in the ministry of Jesus where his disciples are arguing about who is greatest in the coming kingdom. Jesus knew what they were discussing when they were pressed about their conversation when he sat down with them. And they were silently embarrassed. They knew it wasn't right. They'd been around Jesus long enough. And so Jesus sits down. And by the way, in that culture, when the rabbi sits down, it's teaching time. It's very official. In our culture, you know, you stand to give a lecture. But in their culture, you sat down. He sits down in this deliberate teaching moment. And he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all to serve all. And then Jesus takes a child and puts him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he says to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. In other words, do not seek power. Seek the powerless. God receives the ones who receive the powerless. J. Oswald Sanders once called this the master's principle. For the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to, be, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Not to be served, but to serve. That is the master's principle. Jesus' final message to his disciples in the upper room is that he takes on the role of a lowly house servant, puts a towel over his arm, and washes the disciples' feet, just like Charlie alluded to earlier. The leadership lesson is crystal clear. If you want to lead the world into a better place, then you must embrace servant leadership, not power. 
This does not mean you abdicate strength or confidence or courage or defending. It means you must serve. In the most classic def- if the most classic definition of leadership is influence, then influence is done best by servant leadership. That is the best leadership out there, serving. When I was 16 years old, I was introduced to Bob Leilightner at Colonial Presbyterian Church over at 95th and Warnell. Bob Leilightner, Bob was the strong, silent type. Bob was an excellent wrestler, and any wannabe high school wrestler, he could pin in just a few seconds. Impressive to most high schoolers. Bob was bald by the age of 30. I never knew him with hair. But he had these piercing blue eyes and a sharp nose that could pin you to the wall just by looking at you. There was never much small talk with Bob. When he asked you how you are, you were going to answer honestly and truthfully and right to the point. That's the kind of personality he had. There was nothing fakey or hesitant about Bob Leilightner. Bob understood servant leadership. He'd studied the life of Christ, and he was a role model to all of us in high school. Many times when leaders asked during some big event, where's Bob? People knew to go look in the kitchen because Bob would be back in the kitchen scrubbing pans or emptying trash over by himself or stacking chairs. And while the rest of us were trying to talk to girls, we would suddenly go find Bob, and then we would start stacking chairs too, say, oh, yeah, 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 not the girls, it's the chairs. (laughs) And immediately others would, would jump in. That's influence. We followed Bob. That's leadership. Bob earned his leadership not because he could win arguments or was a brilliant speaker or had some cool talent other than wrestling. Bob took Jesus to heart, and Bob served. And for a bunch of high schoolers and college kids, Bob was the genuine article. And we took it hook, line, and sinker. And we learned who the real Jesus was through Bob. And that's why Bob Leilightner at Colonial Prez has influenced and created multiple ministry leaders all around the nation and started multiple churches through others. That's influence. The Jesus principle, whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all, was a dash of cold water on the disciples that day. They wanted superstar status, and they knew Jesus was not about that. The disciples wanted power and fame, and Jesus had power. Let's not confuse servanthood with power on the whole thing here, right? That's why Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples were after him. It's just what type of power? They assumed Jesus was going to be the next King David, gather himself a powerful army and go kick some Roman hiney. That's what they thought was going to happen. And Israel was going to come back and be top nation and and seek revenge on all of their enemies for 700 years. But that was not what Jesus had in mind. And this was very confusing to the disciples. Because Jesus was performing powerful signs and wonders, and he drove out demons and even raised the dead. And Jesus was powerful and popular, and thousands followed him. But the disciples and the people only looked at their immediate circumstances, the Roman oppression. And the Apostle Paul, then, 30 years later, he understood what Jesus was really after. 
And he says in his letter to the Colossians, he says this, Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, Paul is alluding to a very deliberate image here. Paul is saying in this imagery, he's saying our sins, our trespasses, our faults, our mistakes, our baggage have all been nailed to the cross. They have been set aside. The, the, the debt certificate has been erased, nailed to the cross. The record is erased. And then Paul uses this vivid image that everyone rec- would recognize around 45 AD. It is the image of a Roman triumph. And if you've ever heard of a Roman triumph, it was very popular back in uh, Caesar Augustus's day. When a conquering general came back into Rome, there was this massive parade. It was a very special parade. It wasn't just your run-of-the-mill parade. It was a triumph. And what would happen is, is the troops and the heroes uh, would come in first. And then the vanquished were followed. And it was the princes and the kings and their families and their servants and then all the booty, all of the treasure, all of the gold, anything they took, the ornaments, all the exotic stuff came. Their totems, their idols, all of that was dragged before the Roman citizens while everyone cheered. And then after all of that came the conquering general in a chariot, oftentimes accompanied by Caesar if they weren't one and the same. Because, you know, Caesar's still a politician and he wants to look good. And so when Paul says he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them, everyone in Colossae who heard that had the image of Jesus coming behind all of our sins, vanquished with the cross next to him. Now picture all your sins, your demons, your mistakes, your baggage, and then comes Jesus in the cross. That's a powerful and immediate image in a Roman citizen's mind. And then Paul shows that Jesus' victory is not a military victory like a Roman general, the Jews' oppressor. It's a victorious cross. Jesus' leadership symbol is the cross. And that's why even to today, nearly 2,000 years later, you're wearing it as jewelry. It's why it's a powerful image that we all own. It's why we make the sign of the cross. Because power does not come out the barrel of a gun. It comes with nails in the palms of your hand. This is a countercultural symbol. The cross. That right there is what we own. That's what we belong to. And so graduates and college students, workers, artisans, crafters, millennials, Gen Z, as you encounter the news these days, the academic world, TED Talks, social media, you will encounter worldviews, politics, and economics that are bent on worldly power. You will be trained and immersed and awashed in worldly power. And what it takes to have influence will be worldly power. Professors, co-workers, fellow students, bosses will entice you to buy into the world's will to power, as Nietzsche called it. Will to power. In the university, they will tell you that Christianity is a fairy tale only fit for people who can't deal with reality. 
following Ludwig Feuerbach. And then they will tell you an even bigger fairy tale, in my opinion, about how incredible human beings are and how we're all on our way to the bright, shining El Dorado that's just around the next corner. If we just give it enough time, we will all become better, making humans the uberman. The superhumans have arrived and we no longer need God, they will tell you. And what they will not tell you is that following Nietzsche and all of this thought, that in the last century, 169,200,000 people died in war and genocide following that model of leadership and ideology. There is a way that leads to life, and it is Jesus' way, and there is a way that leads to death, and it is the world's way. My voice, the church's voice, is a minority, small, faint whisper voice. A voice crying in the wilderness for only a few minutes each week. But it is the way, the truth, and the life. And when you stray from it and follow the world's way, we pay the consequences as an entire culture. Do not forget this voice. As you grow, everyone, it's okay to shed your childhood God. You must shed your childhood God. Shed away. Everyone has to get a new God at certain seasons in their life. When you enter school, when you enter your 20s, when you get into the workplace, when life comes at you, you will be shedding your view of God. It's, it's a necessary thing. The God of your childhood would not work when, when you get older. And don't believe any Christian who says you have to just keep that same God the whole time. Your God gets bigger and more mysterious all the time. And you end up like a rabbi with your sh- shoulders shrugged saying, I don't know. And by the end of life, life becomes a mystery. That's maturing spiritually. All of us must upgrade our view of God throughout life. When you encounter children, when you have your own children, when you encounter hardships and crisis and life and death. During your life, you will be presented with opportunities to lead. Maybe at your school, lead in your workplace, rally teams, have other direct reports to you. And you will need to remember who you are and who you belong to and who is your leadership model. And if you wish to influence others, there is no greater model for leadership than Jesus who served. Be courageous and be forthright. Be strong. This is not about being mealy-mouthed or being weak. This is about being strong, but not with power. I'll never forget my good friend who came home from boot camp and told me that his drill instructor was a foul-mouthed cuss who took the Lord's name in vain more than he spoke any other part of language. And my friend, while standing at attention in formation, asked permission to speak, and his drill instructor instantly drew a few inches from his face, and he told his instructor that he was a Christian and that he did not like the drill instructor saying the Lord's name is his Lord's name in vain. And the drill instructor let him know in no uncertain terms what he thought. But from that point on, 
the drill instructor had gained the man's respect. The drill instructor respected my friend and no longer in his immediate presence used the Lord's name in vain. Stand up, speak up, be courageous, and be strong in the name of Jesus. And serve others if you wish to influence them. Do not let your voice go unheard. You must do this. Be a light in a dark place, salt in a tasteless world. Prove your leadership through Jesus, through your Christ-like servanthood, and see if you cannot change the world to come follow through Jesus' example. And you will join the multitude of saints who have gone before you and made a difference in this world. And it lasts. The world needs you to lead like Jesus. Amen. Go in peace, everyone.